part six of our introduction to end times, the end times series. We're going to look at the restrainers that are placed on society, things that restrain evil. But before we do that, I just want to end off the last sermon by looking at David. I want to give you an example out of David's life with regards to what people are going to be like and do the various scenarios that you as a, a remnant disciple maker will be facing at this end time. David and his mighty men, brilliant example for you to study with regards to operating in very, very extreme circumstances. Now, there are going to be people that you are going to help that will turn away from you and they will turn against you. David's men were driven out of the temple by corrupt people. And what we are seeing today is a corruption of the church and uh, uh, the church splitting into the church of the apostasy and the remnant. The apostate church is being represented by wolves. And they are taking up the pulpit in many, many churches around the world today and promoting the doctrine of demons and being accepted by Laodiceans. And they are pushing out the voice of the true shepherds who are talking and preaching the word of God itself. This is what you can expect, a very similar scenario from what David experienced. Now, there is another picture of what active ministry will look like during these days and what we should prepare for. Now, as I've mentioned before, a good shepherd will already know what I'm talking about. But in the days that we are going into, what you're going to find is that the remnant, more and more people, and I hate to use this term, but people that are in the pews, people that are not in full-time ministry, they will begin to start to experience this type of um, pressure against them as we head into the last days, and it's only going to get worse. Now, before we go into looking at the restrainers, let's just look at the story of David. Now, I'm going to read to you two passages, 1 Samuel 23, and give you an illustration there, and then I'll read to you 1 Samuel 25. But let's begin with 1 Samuel chapter 23. I'm reading 14 verses, the first 14 verses of Scripture. NIV. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kelal. Now, Kelal is a word for a Hebrew word for congregation. So I just want you to put that in the back of your head, the symbolism here to what could possibly take place within your life. Remember, we're always looking for patterns. We're looking for stories that are going to give us a picture of what, what we could be facing. So the Philistines, we've got the Philistines in the story here. We've got the congregational, this people of Kelal in the story here. We've got David and we've got Saul. Watch what each of these groups do and how they interact with each other. So in verse 1, we, we find that the Philistines are coming against Kelal, the congregation, and David gets informed. Verse 2, inquires of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go attack the Philistines and save Kelal. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kelal against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Kelal, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Kelal, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kelal. Now Abathar, son of Amalek, brought, down the, ephod, brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David, at Kelal. Now enter Saul in verse 7. Saul was told that David had gone to Kelal, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David was impri has imprisoned himself by entering the town with gates and bars. Now I want you to notice something here, and I'm going to repeat this later on. Saul does not care about Kelal. So Saul calls up all his forces for battle to go down to Kelal to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abathar, the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, 
Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely, definitely that Saul plans to come to Kelal and destroy the town on account of me. Now, this is an interesting part. This is what I want you to notice. Will the citizens of Kelal surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Kelal surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Kelal and kept moving from place to place. When Saul had told, was told that David had escaped from Kelal, he did not go there. And so David stayed in the wilderness strongholds, in the hills and in the desert. Very interesting story. If you want to look at how the remnant needs to operate during these times that are coming. David and his men faced two enemies. The pagans and the backslidden Hebrews. We're going to find ourselves in a similar situation. We're going to find ourselves amongst pagans. People who are openly occultic and getting worse and worse and more open about their worship of the devil. And we are going to be facing the backslidden church, the apostate church on the other side. Now look at what to expect. Betrayal. Alright? So David goes down, he saves Kilal, the Hebrew word for congregation. He saves them. Saul didn't care. But he goes down to save them. Verse 9, when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he goes to the priest and he says, bring the ephod. David then says, Lord God of Israel, your servant has definitely heard that Saul plans to come against him at Kelal and destroy him on account of me. Will the citizens of Kelal surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord says, you will. David asks again. The Lord says, they will. The Maccabees knew this. Jesus knew it, Matthew 26, 1-5. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away. The Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And the chief priests and the elders and the people of the assembly assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be writing amongst the people. Paul knew it, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 14-18. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, but that is not great, no great concern for, uh, of mine, for the Lord will repay him according to his actions. Be on your guard against him yourself, because he vigorously opposes our, opposed our message. At my first trial, no one supported me as an advocate or stood with me, but they all deserted me. May it not be counted against them by God, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened and empowered me, so that they thought that so that through me the gospel message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I, re I was rescued from the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will rescue me every, uh, from every evil assault and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You will find in this level of ministry, the ministry where you switch over and becoming an active participant in the family business, an active disciple, being a disciple, making a disciple, and having a end-time mentality. In other words, being able to prepare for what is coming and also be able to live as if the Lord is not going to come, but prepare your legacy and impart into your legacy. Real discipleship God's way. Now, there will be some people who you minister to. You're going to give them your time. You're going to give them your life. You're going to give them your money. You're going to give them your heart. And they're going to take and they're going to take and they're going to take and then they're going to betray you. Notice the house of Saul had no care whatsoever about going to Kalal until he heard David was there. He did not come to the rescue. He didn't even lift a finger to help them. Now, it's, it's, it, it is important for you to not only know the stuff and to understand the stuff, but it's important that you go before the Lord and ask Him for wisdom to be able to apply the stuff when it comes. You know by now, listening to the podcast, that I love science fiction movies. I especially love zombie movies. Anyone who watches a zombie movie with me, 
will understand what I'm saying here because they, they, they hear my frustration getting voiced vocally. So my, my frustration in a zombie apocalypse is how people fail to transition their thinking and their worldview from pre-apocalypse mode to post-apocalypse mode. The one who transitions the fastest, the one who is able to treat the zombie as a flesh-eating enemy and deal with them in that vein, generally survive. The one who can't transition, whose mindset is still stuck in a pre-apocalyptic worldview, they're the ones that get eaten and killed. The ones who can transition but they actually tolerate the ones who can't transition, actually begin to put their lives in danger and their group in danger for betrayal because of stupidity, allowing the stupidity in. Now remember I've told you that Christians are going to be dumb unto death. For example, let me give you an example. I'll give you the scripture. I'll read the scripture to you. I'm going to just give you questions for you to think about. I will tackle this scripture later on in this message. But as I read the scripture to you, I want you to just contemplate and meditate on these questions. Even if you have to switch this podcast off, write down these questions and then just meditate on the scripture. The scripture is Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. Here are my questions. What are you going to do if your pastor tells you at the beginning of the seven years mentioned in Daniel that you will have to obey the United Nations, the World Council of Churches, the New World Order elites, to obey them and obey what they are setting up in terms of the governance of the world. What are you going to do in that situation? Especially when they preach to you using this passage of scripture out of the New Testament, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. NIV, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which has be, has est- God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Did you want to be free from fear of of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Think about that. We'll come back to that passage of scripture a little later on. So you're going to be betrayed. The second illustration I want to give you out of David's life is in, found in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. And I'll read to you just a few, pa- few, few passages of scripture up until uh, about 38. So 1 to 38. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then Daniel moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maron, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to you all that is yours. Now hear that it is sheep shearing time. 
When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time that they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable towards my men, since we came at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, two, uh, she, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin, 200 cakes of, of pressed figs, and loaded them on a donkey. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, It has been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his will go missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David and with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my Lord, so that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives... And as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to your men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you, as, as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the Lord my God will bound, will bound surely, uh, securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will be hurled away from the pocket of a uh, from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing He has promised concerning Him and has appointed Him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on His conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed, or having avenged Himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed in your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the, Lord, the God of Israel lives, who kept me from harming you, in you in, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home. In peace, I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the household, holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until, uh, at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. What I want you to see out of this story is, as we head into these times, fewer and fewer 
godly voices are going to be heard. For example, Samuel had died. And so things are getting worse and worse in the kingdom of Israel under the, under the, uh, the kingship of Saul. You're going to protect people. You're going to look after them. You're going to minister to them. But they will not honor you. The very people you help will be the people who are going to turn against you. It happened to King David. Expect the same thing. The ones you help first and most will often and most likely be the ones who knife you in the back. What to expect? Expect what the Maccabees got. Many joined in hypocrisy. Expect what Jeremiah got. Go and read the story of Jeremiah. In spite of all that he had, God still gave him an abundance. Expect what happened to David's men in the wilderness. God is dealing with the Maccabees. God is dealing with the remnant. And God is desert training his people right now for the time that is ahead. Now, let's move on to what the sermon is about today, this foundation that we lay in, and we're looking at things that restrain evil. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 4, NIV version, and then I'm going to read verse 5 to 8 as well, also out of the NIV. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teachings allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord had already, has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. What I want you to note here is that if you read in Ezekiel and if you read in Isaiah, the primary thing Satan wants is to be acknowledged as God. He wants to take the worship that belongs to God and he wants it for himself. Now you've got to remember this with regards to the Antichrist. Verse 5 to 8. Don't you remember what, uh, that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. I believe there are a number of things that currently restrain evil from dominating the world. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is one of those restraints on the evil in man. But slowly but surely, I believe that he will, and I'll talk to this a little bit later, he will withdraw his influence, which is to convict the world of sin and allow man free reign and allow his flesh, his sin flesh, free reign. Now, one of the first things that I want you to look at that I want to put before you as a restraint for evil is human government, which God ordained for that purpose, as we read in Romans Chapter 13, I've already given you this. According to Plato, there are five levels of human government going from the best to the worst. The first one is the rule of one good man, a monarch. Rule of a few good men, aristocracy. Democracy, the rule of the people by themselves. And the rule of a few bad men, oligarchy. And then the rule of one bad man, a tyranny. Now, always remember that when government begins to rule apart from God... When they move away from that Judeo-Christian foundation, when government begins to be filled with ungodly men, with men who are occultic, but they come in the veil of Christianity, but they're actually occultic, they begin to move society away from that Judeo-Christian foundation. And what happens then is 
the restraints for evil get loosened. And you can start to see this has an effect on the moral fabric of the society and that the society begins to disintegrate and slowly but surely segments of the society begin to disintegrate as it comes down even to into the family and into the individual. And this is the danger of socialism and a compromising church operating together. Socialism is the rule of man by man without God. The compromised church is a, is, is a church that basically is coming in and locking hands with that type of government, that Babylonian government. And what we have is a government that begins to oppress its people and not protect its people. So it begins to operate against its people where God has set it up to operate in protection of its people. Let's go back to that passage of scripture in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. I want to read it again because it's pretty significant. I'm going to read it a few times, but it's, it's a pretty significant verse of scripture. And it's a verse of scripture that is going to get a lot of Christians into trouble because, as I've mentioned earlier, they don't understand prophecy and they don't want to study prophecy and they don't want to become an end-time believer and overcomer. Verse 1 NIV, let everybody be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority that existed has have, have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against the God, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now remember that, that particular passage of scripture there that I've just read. They are actually rebels. And they are setting up an authority other than as God has set up. So they are now in rebellion to God, bringing judgment on themselves. But they're going to quote this scripture to you to, to subject you and deceive you into bowing to them and giving worship to the devil. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority, then do what is right, and you will have uh, you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason; they are God's servants, against agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to them, give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you if revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Remember what I've told you throughout this process. You have to look for patterns and stories. History will always show you what is coming. Now, go and look at the story of Daniel. And the lion's den. Go and look at the story of the three Hebrew lads or men that were ruling with Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar set up his image. What did they do? They were in the government. They were helping govern that kingdom. Yet when the king demanded worship, they rebelled. Because the king then had moved them from the worship of God, from the acknowledgement of God, to acknowledging man, worshipping man. This is what's going to happen. Here are a few questions for you. What are you going to do when the government becomes evil? Now remember what I said about that transitioning worldview. How quickly you can transition your worldview will ramp up your ability to survive as you go into this period of seven years. What are you going to do when your government promotes the lie of Satan straight out of Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 to 5? Let me read that passage to you. Satan's lie is this. You will not certainly die. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened 
and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. These Illuminatists, these Satanists, these people actually believe that they were held captive in the Garden of Eden by God, and it was Satan that set them free. This is why they've got all of this occultic hidden knowledge. This is why they're promoting, and you've got to look at aspects of what the world is promoting right now with regards to eternal life apart from God. You will certainly not die. What are they doing Transgen- in the genetics, in transhumanism? What are they doing in terms of accessing global knowledge? Your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. You're going to rule like gods. Remember that at that time, you together with the whole world will have experienced a trauma of violence on an unprecedented scale. And you can read about that. You can hear more about that in depth as we go into the Bible study series of this section of end times. Deception is going to be at its highest. And there's going to be so much deception heading your way from so many different points of view that even the elect are going to possibly be taken out. I'm going to give you a few scenarios of the deceptions coming in the next sermon. I'm not saying that I hold to any or, or all of these things that I'm going to be sharing with you. But what I'm trying to say to you is that as you go into this period of time, you need to you need to be aware of what could possibly come. You need to know what's coming. Biblically speaking, you need to understand it. And then you need to be able to apply it. So when it comes your way, you'll be able to apply what you know and what you understand with regards to God's end times. So when the deception comes, what are you going to do then? When they come to you and they ask you, inverted commas, to support their one world agenda, as we enter into that first three and a half years, the age of the false prophet, as he prepares the world for the coming of the Antichrist. And they ask you to join. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do when the clergy of every major denomination and religion endorses the policies and tells you that these policies are good, and tells you that to to rebel against these policies is to rebel against God's established authority, according to Romans 13, verse 1 to 7. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when you are faced with a trumpet saying, bow down to this idol, or get thrown into the fire? The false prophet and his world council of churches will lead many, many unprepared Christians into the lap of the Antichrist with this passage of scripture. The early church prayed for the emperors because they knew when the emperor was good and influenced by the Holy Spirit, he would not be influenced by the spirit of lawlessness. And that spirit of lawlessness is the satanic spirit. And the satanic spirit hates the seed of the woman and wants to destroy all of mankind. They knew it. But the church today, what I see, they don't know it. So as our governments get filled up more and more with ungodly politicians, God-haters, people who operate in the spirit of lawlessness, people who are actually occultists, but mask themselves as sheep, lawlessness begins to work. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And so the false prophet is now knowingly paving the way for the Antichrist. Many politicians, many UN representatives, many of the rich, many of the influential, many of those who are voting, knowingly or unknowingly paving the way for the reception of the Antichrist. 
And when the Antichrist comes and human governance and government is given over into his hands, what are you going to do? Now remember I taught you to know what and how to pray by understanding biblical prophecy. We, did, we covered that with, with Derek Prince's points. Let's go back to Romans chapter 13 verse 1 to 7 and I want to read to you couple of passages of scripture here and then ask questions while I'm reading you these passages of scripture. Now remember that the false prophet wants you to worship the beast, the Antichrist. And the false prophet is going to set up the beast system, the mark. Now remember that. You've got to remember that. Now let's read Romans 13, 1-7 again. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Are you going to subject yourself to an anti-Christ regime? Now remember this very, very carefully. In the book of Revelations, Jesus himself opens the first seal which releases the Antichrist onto the world. No matter how much planning these guys do to bring about the arrival of the Antichrist, the Antichrist can only be revealed onto the earth scene when Jesus himself allows it to take place by opening and breaking the first seal. So the question here is, are you going to subject yourself to an anti-Christian regime? How quickly are you able to transition your worldview from pre-apocalyptic to post-apocalyptic? If you are going through into the seven-year period, if, you are, if, 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 if this is the age that it happens, if this is the cycle that it happens in, how quickly can you transition your thinking? Verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Question. When this government institutes a universal worship system of Satan and you refuse it, are you ultimately rebelling against God? Now remember the Hebrew boys in Daniel. When Nebuchadnezzar built the gold statue, commanded everybody, when they heard the music, to bow before it. On punishment of death if they did not. When this government institutes a universal worship system of Satan and you refuse it, are you ultimately rebelling against God? Because it's the government of the nations that are going to be doing it. Let's read verses 3 to 6. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their time, full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Question is this. Is this what God wants you to obey? I'm going to read to you two verses of scripture out of Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 14. If the world government system begins to operate in your lifetime, in my lifetime right now, and begins to establish a one world government system, a one world religion, and starts to announce the coming of the Messiah. The first Messiah will always be the Antichrist. Is this what God wants you to obey? 
obey when they are pushing Romans chapter 13 down your throat? How quickly can you transition your thinking? How quickly under the pressure and penalty of death can you make your stand when you hear the music playing and get told to bow to the golden idol? Right, let's look at two verses of scripture. Revelation chapter 13, 16 to 18 and Revelation 14, 9 to 12. Now, the false prophet is the one that's going to force people here. It also forced all people. Now notice that word there already. Okay, you are going to be forced to take the mark of the beast. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they would not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the people who have insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. Now, chapter 14, verse 9 to 12. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone... Please note that. If anyone, now there's three things you've got to note. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand. If you worship the beast, the Antichrist. If you worship the image of the beast, whatever that image is, if it's a golden statue, if it's a financial system, if it's a hologram, if it's a hybrid, whatever it is, if you worship its image, and if you receive its mark, whatever form that mark takes, whether that mark is a computer chip, with all your information on that gives you access to the one world government system. Whether that mark is a computer chip that releases a, another strand of DNA in, into your body through viruses to begin to change your DNA. Seed wars. Whatever, whatever that system may be. If you worship the beast, if you worship the image, if you receive the mark. Verse 10. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Really need to go and study that passage of scripture. People, you need to study history. To understand how this is going to happen, study what has happened already. Why do you think the enemy continually tries to rewrite history. If you don't know where you come from, you're not going to know where you're going to, or you're going to find it very difficult to, to, to mark out the path for your future. Look at the Roman emperors. Under benevolent ones, there was no persecution. Under evil ones, there was persecution. Look at the medieval popes. When governments and government was given into their hands, great persecution broke out. It used to be that your conservative orientated leaning parties would focus on good governance, looking after fiscal concerns, keeping government small, protecting the nation. It used to be that your democratically orientated parties would be focused on good governance, looking after social fiscal concerns, keeping government, a government accountable and protecting the nation. But now, as we move away from our Judeo-Christian roots in governance and in government, 
it's 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 becoming all about power and it's becoming all about directing man to accept this Christ that is coming, this false Christ that is coming. And what, what they get out of it, what they can do to keep it. All roads at this particular point, the enemy is trying to lead to the Antichrist, to bowing, mankind bowing to Antichrist. And mankind is so bent on excluding God from government and from anything to do with government and public policy that eventually God is going to give them what they want. And they will get a government of their choosing. They will get a dictator of their choosing. They will get a king of their choosing. And he will be a man that comes forth to conquer without restraint regarding his evil nature. So the first thing that restrains evil is human government being and, 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 and what is happening is going to be given into the hands of the Antichrist. The second thing that restrains evil is a church that preaches the gospel of the kingdom. All right, You need to really understand that. And um, you need to understand that as the church begins to slip more and more into apostasy, the gospel of the kingdom is not being preached. The Holy Spirit, we are told in John 14, convicts the world concerning sin. He restrains evil and he, he unites the church and he empowers the church to preach this gospel. But there will come a point in time, as it did in Genesis 6, specifically Genesis 6, 3, where he will not strive forever with man. Now, what, what could possibly take place during this period of time is that the Holy Spirit will leave and allow the spirit of lawlessness free reign. During this period of time, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit will leave the hearts of his people. I don't believe he will be taken away from us. I don't even think he's going to be taken away from the world. But what I think could possibly be taking place is that he will not extend his influence onto the people of the world. He's come to convict the world of sin, and I don't think he'll do that. Now, without becoming a dispensationalist and getting into dispensationalism in the book of Revelation, what could possibly take place during the seven-year period of time is that God goes back to behaving towards mankind like he behaved towards mankind in the Old Testament. He turns his redemptive attention onto Israel and the Jews. That last three and a half years, the time of Jacob's trouble, is where God really takes the Jewish nation to task. And he turns them towards himself. Now, that's not to say that the church is going to be raptured at the beginning of the seven years. You know that I've spoken to you about my position on the rapture with regards to being a post-tribulation rapture. Now, this is something to remember. I do not believe that God will ever take his Holy Spirit from us. But I believe that he's not going to convict the world of sin as he is in this age of grace. He'll no longer empower the church to minister in this area of truth to the world in this way. The age of grace comes to an end and his mercy then is reserved for those who are his. It turns, he turns his attention onto Israel and the Jews during this time of the Great Tribulation. Now a lot of people were going to start to say, well then the church is going to be raptured with the taking of the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm preparing for post. If it happens before, fantastic. But here's the thing. When the church stops preaching the gospel of the kingdom and allows the false prophets to represent us, allows the apostate church to represent us and to present to the world a doctrine of demons, then corruption grows 
and spreads at a faster rate. You can look at history with regards to this. You've got to remember that the gospel of the kingdom is a supernaturally charged message by the Holy Spirit. It is an empowered message and it has the ability to stop and halt and, and, and slow corruption down. But when that gets watered down, when we, be, we begin to make excuses for its offensiveness, when we allow false prophets to replace it and not to speak out, when we start to flock after these false, false prophets and empower them by receiving their message and buying their material and making them rich, not only is the church going to suffer, but society is going to lose a restraint. And that's when darkness comes. The third aspect would be spiritual seduction. And I've given you a whole series of sermons on, on, on deception in the church. And um, I'm not going to go into that right now. So you can go and study that whole series and you can download it off iTunes. Um, but you've got to remember that that the spiritual seduction in the church is something that, that, is, that is seriously taking place right now. And, and we need to pay attention to that. But you can, can study that whole series. Um, I think there's about 24 sermons that you can download with regards to the deception, what it looks like in the church and how to avoid it. Right, that's the end of this foundation. And then the next foundation, we're going to be looking at some stories then and now, particularly focusing on Genesis chapter 6. Thank you.